Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. And um, we are talking about the delightful subject of property. Yes, we all need a house to live in and some of us own them on the investment side. What is coming over the horizon? Is it good news? Is it bad news? What can you expect? But more importantly, how can you prepare yourself? Look forward to seeing you on the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my faithful offsider and companion, Mr. Mitchell Laurentiu. Faithful I am, Mr. B. Thanks very much for having me on the show today. And we're gonna chat about a, uh, a fairly sort of controversial topic that I know you've discussed plenty of times in the past, and that is the almighty property market as it stands right mm. now. Indeed, big subject, and it's one that's really something that's front and center for most Australians, the great Australian dream own your own home and live in it. So there are a lot of people in our country that do have real estate exposure and not just as a primary place of residency that we're talking about also from an investment asset perspective. And look, we've covered this before. I think we've put, some, we've put out lots of material on this. I think the last time we did a video, it was a while ago actually, when was it? I think it was about, was it two and a half years, maybe two years ago we did a video. Now, just to not to blow too much wind up your bottom now, 1.2 million views, that video. Mm, well, I'm I checked not... it this morning. <laughs> well, that's, that's cool, isn't it? It just shows the reach of social media. No wonder I'm such a celebrity in my own mind. Now, <laughs> <laughs> let's get on with the show. So yeah, the 1.2 million views, that's pretty, um, that's, a, that's a big number of people, but it does reflect the, the level of interest um, sure. that's, that's out there. And I guess the message that we hit back then is the message that we have now that so many people are one-eyed about property, and I'll be very, very clear off the bat of this. I am not one-eyed about shares over property. I do both. I've made a lot of money with both. I don't have a disposition toward one or the other. Sure. But as someone that's a professional investor, someone that's an economist by qualification, I do also look at the factors that are driving those markets in terms of risk versus return. Sure. I guess that's the first question of this broadcast, AB, is what's your depiction on the current market? We could talk state by state, but we'll mm. be here all day. Mm. Um, so on the overall basis here in Australia, how do you see the property market right now? Look, at the moment, it's surprisingly strong. It's crazy, and right? And you talk to me, oh, our house price has been okay. And you know, if we look locally here on the Gold Coast, for example, you know, the property market has been incredibly strong because there's an absence of quality supply. There's an absence of stock at the moment, and it's done a very, very good job of keeping markets you know, pretty plump, and you're seeing things move quickly, and that pretty much full price, which is which is fantastic for any of the property investors sure. here. Um, but it's this is at a point in time, and this is a moving feast, and there are some very, very significant economic factors that we need to look at in terms of, okay, that might be the here and now for property, but where do we see it going into next year? And I have to say, and I hate to be a prophet of doom, it's gonna get pretty gnarly. You know, I remember I did an event with Harry Dent, I've done lots of events with Harry Dent over the years, and I remember seven, eight years ago, he's going, oh, you gotta get out of the property market now. Terrible advice, you know, market's probably doubled in Sydney over that period of time, it's terrible advice. But at the time where we see things right now, I think the economic factors are very, very different, and they are gonna buy a lot of people that see this, not false dawn of what we've got right now, but see the picture of where things are at, going, well, you know, we've been in Corona, we've been in recession, things are holding up, this one's gonna be okay. This is being artificially held up, and I'm sure we'll explore as to what that really means. Sure, so if there is a turning point coming, let's first explore why it is in fact held up so strongly. Mm. We know that in the government, fiscal stimulus, low interest rates, but why else has the property market remained how it is despite mm. what's going on? Well, I think it's so easy to bash the banks and, 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 and this time around they've actually been very, very good. You've seen the private sector in the form of their banking system operate cheek in jowl side by side with government policy on, 
I'm really trying to assist people through the initial shock of what coronavirus was all about. So those payment holidays that the banks provided you, six months, you don't have to repay your loan, talk to us, we'll work it out, um, was something that was very, very well received from the market. And there's no question that's gone a long way towards supporting this property market. If you didn't have to pay your loan back, happy days. It's also been a runoff into other retail spending that we've talked about in previous broadcasts. So the banks actually having those payment holidays has been a really substantial uh, support under our market. Uh, and it needed it because you know 96% of foreign buying is no longer happening here in Australia. So that overseas demand for our properties has almost stopped dead. And where does that leave us moving forward? It's a big problem when you look at some of the supply side issues. So let's circle back to where the banks are at first of all. So that payment holiday has been a terrific thing. It's stewarded people through these difficult times. However, that period is coming to an end. And some of the things I look for, I really like to lift up certain stones to see what's underneath them as, as, as I guess, part of my, my DNA as a trader. And if you look at, say, Westpac, for example, they've doubled the size of their mortgage arrears team that they're recruiting and assembling right now. And, and just, just for most hmm. people out there, what is a mortgage arrears team? That's where you're behind with your mortgage and the bank are going to start talking to you and say, hey, listen, you've got to start repaying and getting this debt down or bounty some sort of... And such. And if you don't, oh, exactly right. Uh, if you don't, then these are the next steps in that process. Right. And you know, the banks have got financial assistance lines and things like that, which I'm sure we'll talk about as we go on through. Um, but nonetheless, that team is expanding. And I've seen this before. I saw it in the late 80s, um, you know, when the UK was going through a recession. GFC? Um, not so much in the GFC, actually. We saw a pullback in property prices and it recovered almost. Straight away. Yeah, pretty much good time to be buying. I remember picking up a couple of things then. It was good value. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, but you know, that recovered relatively quickly because the GFC was very different. A, it wasn't a recession. It was a financial market-driven pullback. And that was it. It was in a very, very narrow channel as opposed to a broad-based recession that we're seeing now. Cool. Okay, so those payment holidays are coming to an end. Now, to give you an idea of the scale of those payment holidays, around one in 10 loans at the bank are on a payment holiday right now. So a tenth of the money that they've got out on loan for mortgages are currently not being serviced or paid. And the, the banks, like anyone, is a business. They so a business, for them yeah. to have you know 10% of their trade credit cut off and people mm. not paying their bills, must have a pretty big effect overall. Yeah, we've seen that already with the banks in terms of dividend cuts, for example, which was the right call. Uh, you know, a lot of investors have sort of arced up that, oh, you know, you've cut off our lifeblood, but it was the right call. It's better keeping the money in the bank uh, and in the business under these more challenging operating conditions than paying a distribution and dividend to uh, the shareholders. Are they using that cash flow to put out spot fires like mortgage delinquency, for example? I don't so much. I think they're going to be provisioning, certainly getting bad debt provisioning up, and we saw that with some of the guidance from the banks. But this is going to become a real problem because if you had trouble paying your mortgage at the start of this crisis, Imagine what it's like now. It ain't going to be any easier now. It's going to be, by a degree, significantly harder. The chances are you may well have lost your job now, or your business has materially slowed down now, as opposed to anticipating that it was going to slow down. So yeah, that, that, that bite has already happened. But worse still, you're out of the habit of paying. And we all know in business, you know, if you've got someone that's on a payment plan, keep it very regular. It doesn't matter how big or small the number is. Keep that number regular so that people are in the habit of paying. Because as soon as you stop it, it's almost like resurrecting Lazarus to try and get somebody started again. <laughs> you know, if you take staying fit, even if you go away and have a binge for a week, at least if you do something while you're away, it's going to keep the oil moving around the machine. If you stop everything, it's very, very difficult to get going again. Gotcha. And this is one of the big challenges the banks are going to have. Secondly, people's personal financial situation 
would have almost certainly deteriorated over that period of time. But what's more, that six months of not paying has now been tacked on to the principal, so your interest and repayments are going to be higher. It kind of sounds like an episode of The Sopranos, we're going to tag it on to the principal. <laughs> but that's the reality of what's going to go on here, because you now owe more money. And what's the risk with that long term? Because if people are adding you know, six months worth of mortgage to their principal, mm. surely down the track, when things aren't getting any better, that's going to be really tough to service. May well be. And, and, and so you're going to see people in a situation where perhaps they cannot repay it. Um, and, and our advice right off the bat from a moral perspective is if you're in that situation, I would highly recommend talk to your bank and their financial assistance helpline. And this is by no means a let's promote the banks, but the earlier you get in on that, the more help you're gonna get. If you're Johnny come lately and you end up going in the door last, there's not gonna be much left to help you out. So if you are in difficulties, communicate. I see people ghosting their banks, I'm not returning their calls. You can't do that because the next step if it moves down the line is a different scenario, which is the potential for repossession. Now we talked about you know, the Aussie property market's been pretty strong uh, because there's not been a lot of stock. I was actually chatting with a buddy of mine, he's in the eastern suburbs of Sydney, so I can't believe how strong this market has been. There is no stock. But as banks will start to move through this foreclosure process, very American term foreclosure, so basically you're behind with your mortgage, you're not in any position to repay it. And if you've got equity, uh, actually listen to an interview with one of the bank, uh, bank um, directors today, if you've got equity, maybe selling down and renting, selling down to a smaller property to unlock that equity is, is, is not a bad strategy. But if you're in a situation where you've got no equity in the property and you're going to have to sell it, you're still going to have the debt to pay off to the bank. So you're going to start to see a little bit of pressure on people to start selling properties. And the thing I'm looking for, one of the stats I'm looking for, is that increase in supply of new listings coming into the market. Because the banks are not going to go, hey guys, we're starting to repossess people that are in arrears. That's not news that they're going to put out there sure. because it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy where you start to see prices really driven down hard. So it's going to be quite surreptitious. Look out for those listings. As soon as you start to see more stock coming in the market, that's a big, big red flag for what's there. Gotcha. Mm. You've got a number of properties here mm. on the Gold Coast and various other places. Mm. What's your plan moving forward, just out of interest? I'm going to be unloading some waterfront stuff here for sure. Uh, and I'm going to be sitting back and, uh, and waiting for the carnage to end and, and picking up more stuff. So you think um, that we'll see, we will see a tumble in the market moving forwards? Absolutely. I, I, I would be absolutely resolute in that. And you know, it's so hard to go out on a limb when it comes to talking about markets and what they're likely to do. But I'm gonna, I am going to go out on that limb and I'm very content to say we are in for a very, very difficult time in the Australian property market. Gotcha. And, and that is going to bite most people. And it's not just people, it's going to bite into the economy too. So it affects not just uh, 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 owner-occupier. If, if, you, if you think about circumstances right now, a lot of people that are owner-occupiers, you're going to do what you can to keep your home. It's your castle, your family there, all the rest of it. But so many people own multiple investment properties. And that's a risk. That is a big risk. Uh, on a number of metrics as we'll explore. Number one, a lot of those properties are negatively geared. And I know I got absolutely pilloried for talking about property versus shares and all of these wonderful people saying, yeah, but you can't negatively gear shares, da, 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 get your tax deduction. How's that negative gearing looking for you right now when you've got no tenant? Oh, that's right, it's definitely negatively geared now because there's no rent, but you've also lost your job. And in that respect, it's a very, very painful situation for people. And so like any type of leverage, we talk about this in the trading space. People shouldn't use leverage unless they truly understand the risks. The majority of people that want to use leverage use it because they don't have a lot of cash to work with. Whereas leverage should only be used by people that have got plenty of cash to work with and are just looking to get the icing on the cake. And I know that's so contrarian, but if something goes wrong and you've got cash behind you, you can ride it out. If you're geared up and you don't have the resources because you're literally down to the canvas in terms of what you could borrow and how, how you've structured yourself, 
That's a major problem. We've got one in seven properties currently empty. Now, that also means that landlords are competing for rent. So rent is dropping, so any kind of yield is dropping too. Sure. So you've got empty places, and those that aren't empty are at cheaper rents. None of that is good news for someone that's got an investment property for one, if they want to pull cash flow from it, and even worse news if they happen to be in a position where it's negatively geared. And just, just to be clear, negative gearing is where the repayments for the property are more than what the income is from it, giving sure. you effectively a tax deduction uh, on it. Sure. Okay. And a lot of people get into property for that basic reason, oh, I can get some tax deductibility. Tax deductibility is important, but it shouldn't be the primary reason you get into an investment. It should be to make money. Gotcha. Okay. So tying this back to, and then thank you for that too, because that, that was a lot of good information. Tying that back now to what we do, say, you know, stock market, of course, and mm. options trading and whatnot. You know, you said you had no predisposition to choosing either property or shares, but what are the risks in each? I know we mm. talk about risk management in the stock market. Is there a way to do that in the property market or is mm. it just non-existent? Look, I've actually got a friend of mine that's been doing some put option work in the property space. I don't think there he's doing much at the moment. He's backed away from that because he's seeing it as risk on. But yeah, it's very, very hard to be able to insulate that downside risk. Most risk management in property might be landlord insurance to protect your place or rental guarantee or something like that. Um, but you can't really insure yourself against a substantial fall in the price. Now, of course, there'll be people listening that'll go, but that's okay, property doubles every seven years. I don't really believe that, but property doubles every seven years if you hold it long enough to recover. Now, I'll go back and talk about the GFC where we started this conversation off in the mining boom. Think about people that bought that Fibro three bedroom shack in Port Hedland for $1.3 million and it's now worth about four fifty. dollars um, Here we are 13 years later and it's not gone back up. And we've had clients that have been in that space, that personally have been in that space and dealt with it. The big challenge with property right now, and, and stock market, you can buy and sell every day, you can buy put options to protect yourself, you can generate substantially more income. And if you get the right kind of stocks, you can get capital gain. With property, really, the big challenge right now is how price is going to be stable. Forget about the rental and the income side of it because that's already under pressure. But how stable is price? And the biggest challenge is this enormous oversupply that we have coming into the market. We've been geared up for overseas buyers for such a long time. Property has been almost a one-way bet. Anyone can become a developer. You know, you go and buy an option on a block of land and you've got development approval for a multi-dwelling and away you go, now you're a developer. Well, we'll see how good a developer you are as we go through this cycle because, you know, overseas buying, 96% drop. Secondly, that new supply is still coming onto the market, which is done, sell them today, done, out of the position. Liquid, done. If you're halfway through a build, you've got something that is absolutely worthless. If it's halfway through a build, it's probably worth less than the dirt it's on because there's an inconvenience to either have to knock it down or have to take over God knows what as a construction. So you've got a real, real challenge there. And when we talk about oversupply, let's just talk about a little pocket. I'll give you three suburbs in Sydney, Rouse Hill, Parramatta, and Mascot. Sure. And in each of those three suburbs, you've got 1,500 new units. Doesn't sound a lot, does it? 1,500 new units coming to market over the next quarter. Okay, so there's 4,500 new dwellings there in a market where one in seven are empty. So why? And rental yields are falling because they're already in the pipeline coming through. If you take Gosford, we've got clients that develop down there. There's 1,900 new units coming into the market over the next six months that are projected to come in. And there's no one that wants to rent them. Who's going to be able to get finance at the bank right now? How strong is your serviceability? How stable is your job? Do you have the ability to provide a deposit? Can you show the ability to consistently save? And how does the bank then go about valuing that property to be able to lend against it? Yeah, you go, okay, this unit in normal conditions, not pre-COVID, it's a $900,000 unit. Now the bank, when they go to value it, it's going to be, okay, one in seven properties are empty here. 
um, the rent, the backside has dropped out of rent. People don't have to pay rent. They get a moratorium. You can have six months without paying rent anyway. So the rental yield has dropped totally. Um, and if you then go and try and put a pin the tail on the donkey and you've got all this new supply coming in with no overseas buyers driving the price up at auction or however it might be purchased, where are you going to, if you're the bank valuer, are you going to come in at 850 or are you going to make sure that you cover yourself and say, look, we'll value it at 600, we're going to be safe here? Sure, absolutely. Mm. It's smart. It's, that's what I would do anyway. It's a real problem because the bank will value it low in these conditions because there's nothing pulling it higher, which means if you're owning something in that space, the valuation has been absolutely torched. If you're the developer in your building and you're expecting to better sell something for 800 grand and you're only going to get five or 600 for it, that's a problem for you as well. Sure. And then even at those lower levels, who can afford it in terms of not the dollars, but being able to demonstrate serviceability when you've got unemployment, realistically you're going to be at 20%. Gotcha. It seems like a really tricky investment at the moment, especially for those people who rely on property as their cash flow through Absolutely. rental income. Mm. Now, we know how to generate income out of the stock market. Mm. That's our bread and butter and that's yep. our game. How do they compare? How do they stack up? The concept is the same. If you own shares and don't use our strategy, I would liken it to owning an investment property and not putting a tenant in. You're missing it on the rent and Makes you're just sense. hoping to get some form of gain or potentially lost there, of course. So in that regard, they're quite similar. The difference is the flexibility of what we do. We go for a week, fortnight, month, okay, and you get that regular cash flow paid up front in an asset that's very liquid. And at the end of the week, month, or fortnight, you can sell that asset if you want to, either for a profit, at break even, or even if it's a touch underwater, you've had that rent to, to soften the blow with property. The transactional fees are so high, you can't do that. You can't buy and sell, you can't flip. You know, you've got stamp duty, um, depending on your entity that you're in, there are other taxes that are payable as well, plus the overall transaction fees, agents fees, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a very, very illiquid asset by comparison. And, and also things go through times and cycles, Mitch. And you know, we've seen the stock market and anyone that is a property investor set back smirking in February, March, when we saw our equity market drop 30, 40%. And then the markets recovered very, very strongly immediately after that, which wiped a few smiles. But it also prompted that question mark of going, okay, that's just happened in shares and there's a lag here with what's gonna happen in property. Yeah. How hard is it gonna to be to stop myself out of my property for maybe a one or 2% loss or do I see 20% and you go, oh, hold it. So I'll hold it, it'll come good, but you've got no tenant. You're paying the mortgage on it without a job because 20% unemployment, a lot of people in that position, ugly, ugly scenario. And just to compound it, there's more stock coming out the hill, newer, fresher, brighter, shinier, ready for somebody else to buy. Tricky yeah, business. It's fairly grim looking forward. And just out of interest, is that typically how it works when the stock market has a correction? Is the property, does that usually follow? They're not really correlated assets. You know, there's a wealth effect. So if you're doing well within your property portfolio, guess what, you'll want to buy more property. Sure. When it's challenging, you'll probably opt out of that and look for something different. That's just how we are as beasts. Uh, and I've done the same thing. I've done well in property and I've rolled into others and you, you move along and that's how that game works. Why would you break up the magic formula? Sure. But you have to have that diversification too. So if you've made good money over here and that sector's slowed down, as an asset allocator or someone that looks after your own money, you've got to put that money elsewhere to work. And I don't see any kind of economic case. If I put on my theoretical economist hat for a moment, I can see absolutely no case for a stronger property market here in Australia over the next three years. There's just nothing there. Even though interest rates are low, there is no case for it because the demand coming from overseas, which is largely pushed up our market, isn't there. And you've got that inability for people to get finance. A jittery economy where no one wants to extend themselves financially. So if you're at an auction, you might have a knockout figure. If times are good, you think, well, yeah, the property's going to jump by 10, 15% over the next two years anyway. So it doesn't matter if I pay a bit over at auction, I'll get that back in the next year. Sure. But when it's not moving up, that arm gets a bit heavier to put up in the air and say, 
for the auctioneer. It you know is what I mean? tough. So it becomes much, much tougher. I can see no strong economic case for that. On the other side of things, I can see a lot of dark clouds, and I hate to be a prophet of doom, but I can only see dark clouds in that area. And sure, it will be sector and, and, and suburb specific as it always is. Okay, there's going to be some suburbs that get hit much, much harder. Others are going to be largely insulated from that. If you take Byron Bay, for example, is a very insulated part of Australia for sure. a lot of different reasons. You look at the eastern suburbs of Sydney, same thing, it tends to ride out the storm. If you look at the uh, inner suburbs like Turak in Melbourne, same thing. Beautiful. But if you start to push that out to those more regional areas, not necessarily even regional, but more suburban areas, they're last to rise and they're first to drop. It's a, uh, it's a very bold prediction, but I, I can't help but feel exactly the same. That brings me to the last question to finish off the broadcast, mm. AB. What the hell do you do? What's your advice? How do you play the game? <laughs> look, you know, a lot of people when this all kicks off are going to look to point the finger at our banks to say, look, there's been irresponsible lending. And look, the Royal Commission demonstrated that quite clearly. But I do think you can't play a blame game insofar as it's not just the banks that lent you the money, it's the application on that side as well. And so many people have overextended themselves because for whatever reason, they've been too narrow focused and I'll just get my next, my next, my next, my next properties and have this empire which on paper is worth X, but it's got no equity in it because the equity keeps getting sucked out and put in. And I do hope anyone listening to this hasn't made the rookie error of cross-collateralizing or having everything with one financial institution. You've got to have those fire breaks. And this is property 101. We don't even teach on property. Sure. But this is property 101 that I know from my own experiences as being in that space. So you know, that, that's going to become you know, a, a real problem. Where to from here? I think there's going to be a very, very good opportunity to either, if you can get in cash and pick up some bargains on the other side of that, which is what my intention is for sure. Mine too. I think that's that's the place I will be looking to play. And it's not about being predatory and taking advantage of other people's problem. If someone's overextended themselves and borrowed more than they should, they went to the bank asking for that and they knew, and we've talked about this earlier in podcasts, You know, we talked about you know getting yourself set up financially. It may be that you can afford to borrow up to $800,000. So borrow up to 600 instead. Yeah, play it smart. Peg it back, give yourself that cushioning so that you can ride this out. But unfortunately, with such low interest rates, people get drunk on credit and they've gone crackers. And every time their property has gone up in value, they've either drawn equity to buy another property or they've drawn equity to go on holiday, buy a jet ski or whatever, a car or whatever <laughs> it might be, because property doubles every seven years. And that sort of philosophy is going to come back and bite. So as always, you know, my recommendation when it comes to investing the best investment you're ever going to make is in yourself and in your own knowledge. And, and this is a great time to be upskilling to see what's coming next and how to better capitalize on it. And whether that is in the stock market or whether it's being more defensive in property or, or whether it's something that's totally different, learn what to do. Because so many people have made so much money, myself included, in the property markets. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're you know, the property guru just because you did that. It might have just been good timing that you happened to buy it. And I put my hand up and I said, that happened to me in London. I had perfect timing in the perfect suburb and killed it. That wasn't down to my skill. Oh, actually, it depends on how I'm telling the story. It's better to be Actually, it was my it. skill. Oh, look, you know, yeah, I did my research and that was rubbish. Just happened to be fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time and boom, it went. And that's how that whole process started. So a lot of people, I think their confidence uh, and their net wealth has jumped up for sure quite considerably, but it's been by accident. That doesn't necessarily make you a great investor. Learning, and I know this is this is going to rub some people up the wrong way, and that's okay. Coaches win games, cheerleaders don't. You know, and that's just the reality of it. You sure. need to hear this sometimes. But you know, don't 
don't overestimate what's coming and the fact that you will require a better skill set than simply pinning the tail on the donkey and picking a sale when it's gone up. You're gonna need better skills in this tougher climate, different ways of doing finance, different ways of asset protection, certainly different ways of picking um, where those investment properties or primary place of residence are gonna be for the right reasons. And uh, it's gonna be a real shakeout. So hopefully people get educated either in that space or better yet in what we do. Why? Because what we do is recession proof. Market goes up or down, we can make money. Sure. Simple as that. Great advice and I couldn't agree more on, on all of that. And look, the banks are a lot to blame. So are we, mm. there's a lot of risks involved. So absolutely bang on right there, get educated, get upskilled. Thanks very much, Mr. B, been an absolute pleasure. It's a shame we had to cut this one, but I know we could go on forever. So thanks very much. My pleasure, Mitch, anytime. Well, there you have it, guys. That is the property market, at least through the lenses that we see it as right now. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll see you on the show next week.